This is the Secret Life of Mold podcast. Of Mold podcast. Craig, Craig, oh. Craig, Craig, I just, I got to stop you right here. I'm not oh. really sure if I can move forward. I'm not sure if I can move forward with this podcast. I know I Ooh. just got on, but I just have to tell you guys, like, it is freezing in my house right now. Like, look I'm, how I'm dressed. Like, it is definitely, <laughs> it's like 50 something degrees in here. And I just, I don't know. I don't know why it's like this, but at least I guess it's no shave November and I got this little beard thing. Is that what's going, going on. on there? Is that helping keep you warm? It's, it's, it's beardish. I feel beard- like it's beardish. It's, beard-ish. I'm, I it's feel not like... Brandon beard, but it's, be- it's beard. <laughs> yeah, I was going right? to say we're at the beginning of the month here. So, so you obviously true. just got started. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. But it, it is cold. It's a really weird day. Like yeah. my kid's very last football game. It's freezing in my house. Like everything just doesn't seem like, I think we're going to get through this row, but I think we're going to see I, how it goes. I think we can get through it together. If we all, if we all put our heads down and, I do like it. it. I do like it. Sorry, Craig, carry on. <laughs> well, I, I just can't wait till our last episode and see uh, see how that fills in there. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. There you go. Beard-ish, if there was any reason to stick around. Beard-ish volume two is next week, right? Yeah, there you go. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to tell the difference between you and Brandon, though. I'm going to have to. <laughs> By then. One of you guys a, might have to wear a hat or that's something. That's a tall tree. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. I like that's it. Funny. Well, gentlemen, let's just jump right in. Today, uh, I'm super excited to have both Brandon Apple, who is the CEO of Mold Inspection Sciences, as well as Mike Marshall, CEO of Mold Inspection Sciences Texas, back Thank with you. us. Last week, we had a great episode, uh, great stories. Uh, really looking forward to yeah. doing that again and, uh, and just kind of revisiting some of what we touched on last week. Yeah. And the different types of samples that we that we provide. Really want today, we want to dive into uh, the standard sampling, which is what we perform on a regular basis and just really kind of get, get an idea of what the benefit is and the importance of testing and sampling is. We, we call it sampling. It's, it's microbial laboratory analysis. We're going to get into the different types that we, that we provide and the importance of those. So let's just jump right in, gentlemen. Yeah. I'm excited. Definitely. Right. Definitely. Thanks for this. having us again. Well, I guess I'll jump in and, and you use the term standard sampling. What do we kind of mean by that? In my opinion, that's some of our more traditional samples, the ones that have been kind of the staples for a long time, they're kind of, again, the traditional way. I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's been in the bag of tricks for a long time. As with everything, there are you know positives and negatives to each type of sample. Or I shouldn't even say negatives, just more so. None of them are a tell-all, let's say. So it's important to understand what each one is and what it tells us. And on the flip side of that, what does it not tell us? So But again, traditional sampling, standard sampling, that's what we're going to dive into today. And I'll just start with probably the most well-known type of sampling in the industry is probably air sampling. It's really, what are we doing with air sampling? We're trying to determine the whatever mold spore types and concentrations might be within the air in that space at that time. So how do we do that? We use a very specialized air pump to draw air through what's uh, referred to as a spore trap. And a spore trap, you know, I kind of just refer to it as think of it as like a filter. It's going to collect particulate from the air included in that would be mold spores and things like that. So in in environments where, you know, we're, for example, trying to find a hidden mold source, we would utilize air sampling. If those counts were to, for example, come back really highly elevated in combination with excessive water damage, 
that would be indicative that we have a potential hidden mold source there. Also, another really common scenario is we have visible mold and we want to know, hey, is this mold affecting air quality? And if so, to what degree? That can really play into our recommendations um, in the end in the fact that if we have excessively high airborne counts, we're going to assume that contents potentially need to be clean. Even more so would be, hey, do we have cross-contamination of adjacent areas? That's really important to understand. So again, we're starting to determine that this one end of the spectrum is what is our air quality within this space at this time? So that's kind of a, a broad overview. There's important things to keep in mind with air sampling, though. The myths and misconceptions is what I'll call it. They've been for a long time missold as kind of a tell-all. And I see this a lot in the real estate industry is, you know, you'll have a home inspector come in and he'll do his thing, which is different than what we're doing for sure. He's kind of looking at general electrical problems and things like that. But then they might offer, hey, and I can also do an air sample in the center of the house and tell you if we have a mold problem or not. That is absolutely not quite how an air sample works. You know, they're just not a tell-all. They do tell us what's in the air at the time, but it's not going to tell us if we have a mold problem or not. The reality of it is you can literally have a mold issue, but that mold source not be actively sporulating or sending spores into the environment. So again, you really have to start to you know understand what it's telling us, which is it's what's going on in this space at that time, if that kind of makes sense for everyone. Another kind of misconception I've heard is just, hey, we do one air sample in the middle of the house and it'll tell us everything. That's not true. They are definitely pretty much room or area specific. You can't take an air sample in the master bedroom of a home and expect it to give you conclusions about the guest bath over on the other side, things like that. So they are very room specific. And as a result, we typically recommend those very specific to certain areas of the home where there's a potential issue. So we want to start to pinpoint our issues with those air samples. So definitely a, a really useful tool for sure as part of that investigation. Right. Yeah. Another misconception I think that I've, I've heard is, you know, air sampling is really not relevant. We hear that occasionally, you know, people will do some research on mold inspections and assessments and they, they hear that air testing isn't necessary. It's not accurate. It's not. What we know for doing this for a long time is that there are times where an air sample may not show a, a problem. Exactly like you said before, Brandon, as far as, you know, air testing doesn't always pick up mores if, uh, spores if the colony of mold is not sporulating. But we also see on the flip side that sometimes we get a few of those marker spores that come up in those air samples, and it may not be at a really highly elevated level, but it's enough to tell us, hey, we really do think there's something going on that just isn't visible. So we truly believe that air testing is part, it's data that can be very definitive and very useful oftentimes, and sometimes it's not, but it's part of that big picture that we're looking at the total analysis of a home, which includes the sampling, includes the visual assessment by a certified mold inspector who's doing moisture testing, identifying those areas that we suspect there could be mold growth. You know, Brand, when you're talking about the air testing and and sometimes pinpointing areas that we don't know about or don't see, it it reminded me of a story of a couple that I worked with uh, quite a few years ago. I did an assessment for them, and this home was it was a beautiful home, probably 4,000 square feet, uh, newer home, very good condition. Obviously, it had been prepared for the sale as well. They'd gone through and done some painting and, and cleaning. And it was just a really clean home. In fact, I really didn't find any red flag conditions at all. So I didn't really have strong recommendations for sampling in certain areas. But my clients, they, uh, they had had a previous mold problem. They were relocating, I believe, from another state. 
So they had been through mold remediation. I believe that one of them actually had some sensitivities as well. So they were really concerned about mold. That's why they brought us in. Even though I didn't find any, any suspect areas, they wanted some air testing in the home. And I said, sure, let me know, you know what you want to do. I kind of gave them some ideas of good locations for a representative sample or what we call a screen for mold, which yeah, is several. They ended up doing about eight air samples. And I was kind of blown away. We got the results and the lab results, they were just very definitive in the fact that there's highly elevated mold spore counts in every single one of those air samples. And I'm just like scratching my head like, well, now what do I tell them? You know, because I have no idea where it's at. And the reality is they went back to the seller and the seller didn't believe they thought that, you know, the air testing wasn't accurate. And there was, you know, there couldn't be mold in this home. It's, it's perfect, you know. And they even brought in their own consultant and did a visual inspection. They didn't do the testing like we did, but they did a visual inspection. And they're like, no, this home doesn't have a mold problem. Well, clients decided that without the seller willing to really dig deeper and figure out what's going on, that they weren't going to move forward with the, with the sale. And they didn't. It killed the deal, so to speak. But I worked with them again. They brought me in on another home and they actually told me that they found out later on that the home had significant water intrusion through the windows. So the builder, the, they had a construction defect in the installation windows and it was allowing water to seep in. But it wasn't enough volume of water to show itself on the inside as showing for water damage or even moisture, really. But just one of those examples of, you know, had they not done that air testing, they would have bought somebody else's problem. And potentially it could have made them sick without even knowing for quite a while that there was actually a mold problem, yeah, per se. No so doubt. that's a, an example of when air testing is very definitive and it really shows us a, a, the bigger picture of what's going on in a structure. Yeah. Even if we don't see it with our own eyes. Yeah, for sure. When, when nothing's visible. Well, I got something to say, but I'm not kidding you. It is freezing in this house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you guys, uh, I, I think you I need jumping to. Jacks. I think we'll get through it. Uh, it is freezing in here. Anyway, one of you guys, <laughs> things you guys touch on that's uh, really, really important is making sure that we uh, define what that sampling strategy looks like, right? To the, to the client. It's not just about going in and running a bunch of samples. That's not going to get you the best answers. Can you run samples that give you different answers than if you find something that's conducive to mold growth? Absolutely. And especially, you know, when you have a client reported issue and you explain that to them, like, hey, I wouldn't normally have recommended a sample in here. However, you reported these things to me. And it's all about that sampling plan, right? Going in with a strategy and not just coming in. You know, there was that uh, 60 minutes or something like that on mold investigations. And, and one of the guys that was on there, they nicknamed the sampler, right? And like his strategy was, to just come in and like, oh, what's going on in your house? Oh, yeah, well, we have these things. All right, well, we're just going to run 31 samples uh, throughout these areas or whatever. And then if any of those come back, then I'll come back and investigate those areas. Oh. It's like the exact opposite of what you should do. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Like you come in and you do the investigation and you find out, you know, areas that are conducive to mold growth. Yeah. And then we come up with the sampling strategy. It's like not this like predetermined strategy based yeah. on square footage or number of rooms, right? And that is, that's the key yeah. term, yeah. strategy. Yeah. It is based on what we're finding and we are, you know, pinpointing, hey, this is why I'm recommending this type of sample in this environment. That's the key term. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. exactly. And I think that's one of the things, you know, both of our companies uh, kind of pride themselves on is, uh, you know, doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And and every home is just so different. You have to come up with that specific, individual, unique strategy for every single home yep. in every single situation. Exactly. There's not this like cookie cutter method that this is going to cover every <laughs> situation where I've seen in the past, yeah. some other assessors that we come in on the backside of have kind of done that and we get called in to come clean up the mess, right? Yep. 
More often than I like to admit. Anyway, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. stay uh, warming up yeah. over here and keep you guys with it. Mike, we're going to get through. I right, just so start doing some jumping jacks. Don't <laughs> yeah. let it. Don't let it. Uh, I'll try. I'll do guys. my best. Absolutely. You guys are doing great. Absolutely. That won't be a distraction at all, yeah. Mike. No yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's let's move on to the next type of sampling, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, surface surface sampling. Yeah, surface sampling. That one is really commonly used. Is very very beneficial. Surface sampling. What what is that most commonly used for? Is when we visually see what appears something that might be mold growth, and we're going to try and really get some of that and transport it to the lab in some one of the various methods of collection. Surface sampling, there's really three most common methods, I would say. The best for the lab definitely is what's considered bulk sampling. Now, that's a bit destructive. We would literally need to cut a piece of that material that contains what we think is mold and take that from the property and then transport it to the lab. Why is that a really good way of doing it? I think in the last episode, we kind of joked about us geeking out on stuff. Well, when we can send a bulk sample to the lab, those technicians, they're looking at it in its true form. It's, it's, hey, this is what it looked like in the house. And I get a whole piece of it in my lab. And they kind of geek out on that because it's going to be the most accurate way for them to analyze that sample. So those are really great, not always relevant or possible. You know, we don't just randomly cut into people's drywall and stuff like that if it's not the the right scenario. Um, Another really common type would be tape lift sampling. It's pretty much like it sounds like. We use a somewhat specialized piece uh, or a tape lift that that actually we place onto the material and that's going to grab some of that potential mold growth. We put that on a slide and then send that into the lab from there. So that's another really good method. Another really common one would be what's considered swab sampling. If you think about it, it's kind of like a sanitary Q-tip where we're placing that on the potential mold source and collecting as much of that as we can. Then that's put into a, you know, transportation media and we ship that off to the lab. And then from there, they're going to tell us, hey, this was or wasn't mold. And if it is mold, what type of mold it might be? Because I'm sure you guys can imagine the type of mold can really differentiate our recommendations. There's definitely lots of different types of molds and depending on substrates and things like that, that could really change our recommendations. But also a really important thing to remember is just because it might look like mold, it doesn't necessarily mean it's mold. I know we briefly touched on that on the last episode, but even us as trained inspectors, there's a lot of dust and debris and lint and things like that, that can really just have the patterning, have the the look and the appearance of mold. But us not having microscopes for eyes, we really rely on the lab to definitively say if it is or isn't mold. So really a, a super important part of the process is, hey, is this in fact mold? And if so, what type might it be? So really good sampling right there to keep in mind. Yeah, that that's an important point you just hit on right there with us and you talking about the other side of things when we get negative results. Because when we see an area that has mold-like substance uh, or or what we determine to be a mold-like substance, we recommend a surface sample. And then we also recommend an air sample in that area. And the reason for that, and we've seen it hundreds of times where the area that's on the outside, the exterior of whatever substrate is, the drywall, the window ledge, whatever, that comes back or has come back with no mold spores in it. But we take an air sample in that area because obviously something was happening there for all that to collect right there. And then we get a hit on a, a different or, or even a non-existent type of mold that was in that surface sample. And that kind of is the precursor to, you know, hidden mold growth, something sporulating in that area that, yeah, what we're looking at is not exactly 
what is in the air sample, or maybe it's a little bit of both, right? So you get a hit on penicillium and aspergillus in a surface sample, but you get a hit on penicillium, aspergillus, and ketomium in your air sample, you're like, oh, uh, we likely have somewhat of a bigger problem here that we need to do some further investigation. And how many times have the remediation contractors went in under our work plan or protocol and they open up that area of the wall and it's a much bigger problem behind surfaces than it was on the surface of what we're actually looking at. So it's kind of one of our best strategies is, is using those two types of samples collectively to, to get them the answers. Because if you just took the surface sample for its worth and said, well, you don't look like you have a mold problem, just clean this area up. Likely you're going to come back out there in a couple of months and that other problem is now starting to hit that surface, right? And now you're, you got to figure in there like, hey, well, three months ago or two months ago, you told me there wasn't a problem. So giving us the tools and the ability to test our hypothesis in those areas and then get the actual lab data to back it up will give us the best opportunity to come to you with the best work plan to get that thing, uh, get your house back to that healthy living environment yeah. that you want. So yep, good stuff, exactly. man. Great stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Definitely. You know, sometimes we uh, we find conditions like we detect moisture or something in a wall, but there's really no visible mold growth to collect one of those surface samples. Yeah. A really cool type of testing that we do, which is the, the next one on our list to discuss, is if we are just, you know, we're like, eh, you know, there's a pretty good chance there may be something going on that we just can't see inside inside a wall or in, inside a ceiling cavity. We can perform what's called ceiling or what we call it cavity sampling. Most commonly call it wall cavity sampling. So let's uh, let's just move right into that, Brandon. What do you what do you want to share with us on the uh, cavity sampling? Yeah, for sure. Cavity sampling definitely a, a really good trick in the arsenal. I shouldn't say trick, a tool. Tool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in the arsenal. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we definitely most commonly refer to it as a wall cavity sample. It is kind of misleading in the fact that I will gladly do one in a ceiling, like you mentioned, or any other cavity. I actually had a client kind of give me a hard time over that. I think we were doing a ceiling plenum and I called it a wall cavity sample. And he's like, well, but it's not a wall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But, you know, just one of those little, little yeah. nuances to, to the terminology in the industry. But again, another very helpful tool. We have water damage out of space. You know, we don't have any visible growth. We want to know, hey, is there a likelihood for hidden growth in here? Aside from an air sample, that's where a cavity sample can become really beneficial. And again, one of the ones on the more little bit destructive side of things, we do have to put a small hole into the drywall. I kind of prepare people just by, you know, hey, it's about three eighths of an inch, you know, similar to the size of a large picture hanger or picture anchor. So we do have to put a, a hole into the surface and then we stick it in essence, a tube within that space. And we hook similar to what we use on the air sampling. We hook a spore trap up to that. And then we're going to draw air from within that space. And again, we're capturing particulate, potentially mold spores included. So when that gets to the lab, they're going to say, hey, if we have mold spores, these are the types and these are the concentrations. So depending on what we see, in certain cases, we can say with almost 100% certainty that yes, there is a mold source within this wall. I have marker spores. They're in high concentrations. We have water damage. That kind of sells the story. So again, just another one of those tools in the arsenal when it comes to sampling really helps us determine what might be going on. Again, it's another data point. The more data we have, the more we really thrive on that. The more data we have, the more defined recommendations I can give you. I mean, we put a lot of effort into our recommendations in our inspection reports. We want to tell you exactly how to go about it. 
from start to finish because this is really this is why and these samples give us the why and lead us to the how if that makes sense yeah. so again another really good tool in the arsenal for sure and one of the tools that we kind of changed our vision a little bit on in the fact that we do do somewhat of a more aggressive type sampling when we do a wall cavity but one of the reasons that it happened was we had a home where we got uh, negative air sample results in a standard air sample, but the client's daughter was just experiencing these highly allergenic responses in a certain area of the home. And we're trying to help them get to that solution, trying to figure out what that is. And so we ended up taking a wall sample and did it exactly that way. And it uncovered a ridiculously high level of ketomium inside that wall. Now, it wasn't getting wet wasn't affecting the indoor air quality except in certain situations. So maybe there were some disturbances, small disturbances in that bathroom. Kids are in and out. They're banging different things, slamming the cabinet door, whatever. And it's kind of disturbing those things. And then the daughter, because she was so hyperallergenic to that specific mold or in that area, she was picking that up, right? And it was actually really affecting her. So we were really happy that we decided to come back and do the wall cavity sample and figure that out because it it really helped us develop that plan where sometimes, and again, it just goes back to we're looking for the best solution for to keep things inexpensive for the client. We're going to want to start with the lowest common denominator and try the least amount of sampling. And if that's not getting us to the answer and, and the situation persists, then we need to dive deeper. We need to figure out what that is. And that's exactly what we did. And so the wall cavity sample and the way we take it now really was beneficial in uncovering that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, again, like you said, it's just another tool in your arsenal. Do you always default to using a wall cavity sample? No, that's not the first step normally, but it is one of the steps that we can use if we're still not getting the answers and getting that home to exactly where we need to get it to, to remove and build back, right? Yeah, so, that's a great yeah, example. Good stuff. Just want to share that. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's, I mean, Literally, if you if you guys had not done that cavity sample, that little girl would probably still be affected because there was nothing else visible, right? You didn't, you didn't really know what else was going on. Yeah. I mean, we had a little bit of water damage, so we recommended a sample. And then that sample came back okay just because, like Brandon said, at different times, more mold decides to sporulate or not sporulate. And we weren't picking that up in, in the air sample. And super happy that our project management team and our consultant got together and said, you know what, I, I think we need to do, uh, we actually did a couple wall cavity samples in that area and just see what we get. And if we don't get anything on those, we, we go to the next step. We just don't stop there. We just continue down that path and we're going to get there. Yep. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, Brandon, let's, let's chat about dust sampling. Dust sampling. That's really been beneficial for us over the last, I would say, three, four years actually was kind of introduced to us by one of the, the better known IEPs in the industry, Michael Schrantz. He's definitely, if you don't follow him or his podcast, definitely recommend it. We've actually had him on the show previously. So definitely check that out. But really one of the guys that I look up to for sure, but he introduced us to dust sampling in essence for direct examination. And really when are we using that? It's really one of the most beneficial ways I would say is related to contents. We need one to know if the surfaces and or the contents within a space are contaminated with some of those quote-unquote marker spores that we talk about a lot. Are we getting spores of Stachybotrys or Ketomium, things like that? So really beneficial in the fact that I like to use the example of like upholstered items. We can vacuum those items and collect dust from within them and then have them analyze for the presence of some of those spores that might 
lead us to say that this environment is contaminated. So that can be really beneficial on the initial investigation. On the post-clearance end, we definitely incorporate those into our, in essence, our SERS protocol, which is for some of our more hypersensitive clients. A normal post-clearance, it's going to involve visual assessment of the space, moisture detection, also air sampling. That's kind of a minimum on the post-clearance. But we then go this next level on these post-clearance scenarios with a dust sample. We're literally going to use an electrostatic cloth throughout the space and collect any potential particulate. Again, we're looking for the mold spore side of it, and we're going to send that to lab, and they're going to tell us, hey, you have normal conditions. Hey, that's what we want. Or, hey, we have some contamination in the space that still needs to be addressed. So dust sampling, again, another really important tool for us. It definitely helps us look that next level deeper on these projects. And again, through the course of our investigation, as we're building that strategy, as the inspector sees that that might be beneficial, they're going to incorporate it into, hey, here's how we're going to determine if what I'm seeing is affecting this or affecting that. Use the term earlier, Mike, we're trying to confirm our hypothesis. That's the inspector's job is start to form a hypothesis of what's going on. And the sampling is that scientific method to help us confirm or deny that. So it's really, again, geeking out real hard in my head. (laughs) (laughs) This is is what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important too for the audience to know that we use an independent laboratory for that analysis. We're not doing that analysis ourselves. We're actually doing the data interpretation. So we're looking at the lab's analysis and we, we do our own professional level interpretation. But it's just really important to know that we use an independent one of the best labs in the country, quite honestly. And they are accredited and so forth. So check out some of our previous podcasts to find out who they <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, we had a great podcast yeah. with them. So. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Eurofins MLab PNK, definitely one of the 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 you know best partners we could ask for on the a lot of the laboratory yeah. end of it for sure. So well, circling back to the air testing, I just want to go over one one question that we get a lot. We just have customers call in and and you know, most people don't really understand the process of getting a mold assessment. And we do an amazing job. Our, our staff is uh, top notch. Our customer service representatives are very, very trained, well-trained and educated. Um, in fact, I think if most people called other companies after contacting our company at Mold Inspection Sciences, I think they would find that just our staff is amazing. Yep, absolutely. We try to educate. That's, again, that's a big part of what we do. And some of that starts with that initial call when they first call into our office. And we try to explain the process and, and the assessment and the sampling strategy and the, yeah, kind of how, the, how that all works. And one of the questions we get a lot when we're talking about air testing is uh, we always let our clients know that, you know, in order for us to really be able to analyze the indoor air samples, we need to know what are the types of mold that are in the outdoor environment that could be influencing the inside. Yeah. And that's what we call an outside control sample or a baseline sample. And, and we try to you know, educate people on that. It's kind of a difficult one for people to kind of wrap their brain around. But Brandon, why is it important to have that control sample? Yeah, definitely. Like you said, definitely one of those things that's super important to it. And really how I start to explain it to people is, believe it or not, mold is a natural part of our environment. It's been here long before us. It'll be here long after us. Mold is a let's say a natural part of our outside environment, what does it do is it breaks down dead organic material. It's really just part of the ecological life cycle. So as a result, airborne mold spores are expected to be outside. They're always outside. We're potentially always breathing them in. And as a result, those spores naturally infiltrate our homes. Every time we walk inside, we're carrying mold spores with us. 
Our helms, believe it or not, as tight as they build them nowadays, they still breathe with the outside air to some degree. Our homes are not a bubble. So we expect there to be some degree of mold spores in every home. How do we start to determine what's normal for that day and time is what's going on outside at any given time. And then we said that's our comparison point is, hey, this is what we have going on outside. Are we starting to see spikes in the concentrations or the types of molds as compared to that? Really, without that, you're kind of just shooting blind because our outside conditions definitely fluctuate. It could change due to weather conditions, temperature, wind. There's so many factors. The time of year, I'll actually, interestingly enough, right now, I've been noticing this trend over the past month or so. Uh, We operate in Seattle and Portland. Obviously, Craig, you're out in Portland there. I've seen a huge spike in penicillium aspergillus types of molds in our outside samples. And as a result, we're starting to see that reflect into the insides of our houses. Just to give you an idea, I'm seeing, well, let's say the average for the Pacific Northwest, which I use that term very loosely. There's no true average, but you could say it's about 250, 260 spores per cubic meter. We're seeing on a regular basis counts up into the thousands, if not up closer to 10,000 spores per cubic meter. Why? What time of year is it? It's fall. The leaves are on the ground. It's wet out. Things are starting to degrade and things like that. So this isn't surprising, let's say. I will note, though, it's been a higher jump this year than years past. So again, you know, another one of those things we're looking at as a trend. So really important, though. Yeah, not surprising that it's elevated. Surprising that it's elevated that yeah, high. Yeah, exactly. that's, a, that's, a, that's a big number. Yeah, exactly. Sure yeah. is. So. Sure is. Well, gentlemen, this has been another uh, entertaining episode of The Secret Life of Mold. Mikey, okay over there? You warm enough? He got through it. it I'm, I'm, so, I like, I'm just dying for you to say let's go because I'm going to start a fire and I'm, I got hopefully somebody's downstairs making me some hot coffee. I can't feel my fingers <laughs> For reference, right now, so. it, Mike is in Texas. I hope everybody noticed his right. banner. So right. it shouldn't be surprising that a little bit of chilliness is bothering him. He just, he just <laughs> forgot to turn his furnace on this morning, right? Yeah, I don't turn it on. I tell my kids, oh. if you're too warm, then take some clothes off. Or you're too cold right now, put some clothes on. Oh. So I have to follow suit. That's what I, I had to do. There, there you go. Lead by example. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> if only my kids lived with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, one thing before we close, though, real quick. Um, I just wanted to point out that we touched on getting to the proper solution. And it's not always a mold issue that's causing some of the health issues that we got going on inside, but we do start there. And, and if, we, if we have to rule that out, that it's not that, we do a multitude of testing and we're committed to getting you to back to that healthy living environment that you deserve. This is to our listeners. And we can basically, I want to probably shoot myself in the foot here, but we can basically test for just about anything that we feel might be causing some of those issues. So reach out to us and uh, let us help you get to that uh, healthy environment that you deserve. It's your home. You should feel safe there. And if if something in there is getting you sick, call Mold Inspection Sciences or Mold Inspection Sciences Texas, and we're going to get you that solution. There you go. Boy, well said. Well said. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for your time today. Uh, It's it's been very informative. Uh, Like always, uh, next week, looking forward to our episode on qPCR. It's the exciting testing on DNA sequencing for dust analysis. So really helpful. We're going to Definitely take a deep dive into that. So thanks again. I'm excited. And stay tuned for Beardish Level 3. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> see y'all. Uh, Always a good time. Yeah, thank, thank you. you all. all right. Appreciate thanks. it. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Take care. And thank you for joining us for today's live episode of the Secret Life of Mold podcast. Join us next week, same time, same channel, for our episode on QPCR sampling. You won't want to miss it. 
Thank you for joining me today for this episode of the Secret Life of Mold podcast. If you need help with mold issues in your home or office, we'd love to help. For our Texas location, please call 888-335-MOLD. That's 888-335-6653. Or email contact at moldtx.com. For our locations other than Texas, reach out to our customer care team at 800-619-MOLD. That's 800-619-6653. Or email us at contact at moldsci.com.